Hello, um, Adam. Do you want, just before we start, would you like to be host one or host two? Host two, please. Okay. Welcome to the Satire Spotlight podcast, where we explore the world of satire and its impact on society. That's right. I'm host two, and joining me as always is host one. Together, we'll be discussing the latest satirical news, analysing popular satirical works, and talking to some of the most influential voices in the satire world. Whether you're a fan of political satire, social commentary, or just looking for a good laugh, we've got you covered. So sit back, relax, and join us as we dive into the world of satire. Let's get started. Today, we're going to be discussing the role of satire in political discourse and how it can be used to to hold those in power accountable. We'll also be talking to a guest who's a political cartoonist who will share his perspective on the power of satire in shaping public opinion. So stay tuned for an enlightening and entertaining episode of the Satire Spotlight podcast. Thanks for joining us. Music. Are you a banshee you've been a sharing or something? Well, that's um, uh, Alan Partridge, the Irish, uh, the Irish right, Alan yeah, Partridge. Who the, the hell is that? What the hell is <laughs> What is going on? Well, I'll tell you what that was. Can you guess what it was? No, I've got no idea. Okay, so I asked uh, the infamous app ChatGPT oh. to, to write an intro for two hosts on a satirical podcast. Right. And that's what it came up with, wow. which is quite... I love how it's even named the podcast. I didn't give it the name. <laughs> but I thought... Um, it's a better I thought name it was, than... <laughs> 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 it's a clearer USP than this with the yeah. one about satire. Yeah. Um, so I thought that, that would, um, it would be an interesting exercise and mm. it would save us the labour of writing our own, which yeah. is obviously the big anxiety about ChatGPT isn't it yeah um and i wanted to see what it would come up with well, and also we're going to be talking about like ai aren't we are, we, yeah. later on and about um generating generating fake things and also i've got um actually should i just do this now because i also wanted yeah, yeah. to write a satirical campus novel oh my gosh well just tell us <laughs> so, what this is because i i wasn't familiar with this yes you were I've seen some messages about it, but I've not <laughs> looked at it properly. So, so it's an AI on? tool, and you can ask it to like write you an essay, give it a topic. You can ask it to compose a tweet. Okay. You could ask. I asked it to write um, a weather forecast in the style of the Brontes, for example. Um, <laughs> I did asked it, it, and did it. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't think it was great. Okay. And I, well, I asked it to write an essay about the Brontes and Contagion because I'm really struggling with my book. <laughs> and um, But everybody is kind of worried that this spells the end for the university essay and that mm. students... Fear not, or do fear students, because it's unlikely to secure you higher than a 2-2 right. because this essay on the Brontes and Contagion... Um, Said it's quite that coming for anyone who yeah, regularly gets I in the know. late 50s, isn't it? It said that, um, well, basically, it's not going to mean that everyone suddenly is submitting like mm. incredible work. Um, it said there was an outbreak of tuberculosis at Lowood School in Jane Eyre, which, as any fool know, is not true. It was typhus. And then it sort of made some really fortuitous and not very convincing arguments like, we can see contagion at a metaphorical level, as Jane is contagioned by Rochester's love and he is contagioned by her love, and we can see contagion in conclusion. But so I mean, the problem with that is, great. I'm not sure I'd spot that. <laughs> You're not sure you'd spot that? No, I mean, not if, not if I've been marking but like If you were teaching essays. the book, you would know what the truth was. Oh, I know, but yeah. I, and I would say, I, but I'd mark it up and say, this is a this is an error, there seems to be some confusion here, have a 51, mm. but I wouldn't yeah. be like an but you AI wouldn't be like give it. you wouldn't give it a 78, Oh, no, 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 but I mean, I don't think I'd be, I don't think 
that I would be a sensitive enough reader to determine whether or not it was a weak essay or an AI essay. But it doesn't really matter, does it? Or not. does it? I don't know. We'll mm. talk about that when we talk about Mithrigan. I mean, what's 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 better? Getting having the in, the sort of wherewithal to ask an AI to write your essay, or getting your mum to do it. Um, depends how good your mum is at writing essays. <laughs> probably, I don't know. Um, yeah. Do you want to hear Chat GPT's satirical novel? I would love to. University Utopia. It, it's basically written. Oh, I think I said novel, but it's done a film. But it's like <laughs> it's the blurb for it. Okay. University Utopia is a satirical take on the state of higher education in today's society. The film follows the story of John, a bright-eyed high school senior who is determined to attend the prestigious University Utopia, known for its state-of-the-art facilities, renowned professors, and exclusive networking opportunities. <laughs> But, as John begins his journey at U- University Utopia, he quickly realises that the reality of college life is far from the utopia he had imagined. From overpriced tuition and overwhelming student loan debt, to overcrowded classes and underpaid adjunct professors, John finds himself caught in a never-ending cycle of stress and disillusionment. As he delves deeper into the inner workings of the university, John discovers a corrupt system of greed and exploitation where the, where the interests of the administration and wealthy donors take precedence over the education and well-being of the students. But just when it seems like all hope is lost, John and a group of like-minded students band together to fight for a more fair and equitable higher education system. University Utopia is a biting satire that exposes the harsh truths of the current state of universities and the dire need for reform. Fuck. What do you think so about that? Do you think that would be a good that? film? Yeah, well, I mean, it's yeah, pretty really? accurate. Well, I mean, but I mean, it, it, as a blurb, it is, it's plausible enough. It is, but it, it doesn't make sense, though, does it? Because it's like he's desperate to attend it because it's prestigious, mm. and he then he but he wants to fight for a more fair and equitable higher. He wants to go there for the exclusive mm. networking, and then what he's surprised when mm. the admin and the wealthy donors they're like the priorities like but that's just a sort of paradoxes that you find in humans isn't it like the people mm. with people who don't realize that they're well, it's cognitive dissonance isn't yeah it? yeah but yeah uh, i think like also in order for that to work as a satire there's got to be something more than that he discovers a system of greed and exploitation. Mm. You've got to discover, as we'll go on to talk about with Bunny, for example, mm. you have to discover something outside of normality. You've got to mm. discover that, like, in the basements of the university, there are, like, um, trained rats yeah. doing the timetable. Or you, you've, I don't know, you've, you've got to discover something dark, like the... the professors are all eating the students every mm. night like to go back to the time machine again or something mm. um yeah but it's interesting isn't well it? i've got an interesting quandary what, mm. so if you generated that with ai and then you were like well the logic isn't really there but the idea of a utopia university mm. is is like that that i can see that drawing a crowd and perhaps being an interesting idea to think through and you end up writing a novel that was inspired by a prompt written by artificial intelligence is it your you novel? could definitely use it as a prompt quite well couldn't you like yeah yeah but is then it is your the, novel is it yours or or did you yeah. use it it is yeah <laughs> yeah just to clear that so, up because then you're using AI because <laughs> you use an AI the same way you might use technology such as a thesaurus dictionary yeah. so is it just like a thesaurus dictionary on acid um, well, but, but then don't, where do you start? most novels come from something some encounter or conversation or observation you mm. had in your life yeah. and it could come this could be one of those things. Technology is a useful tool. It's like, yeah, you know, I was showing you those pictures. <laughs> I was showing you those pictures of. So, someone had typed, had asked, given AI millions of photographs mm. and then said, show me a picture of Disneyland. 
and it yeah. spat out these horrific images <laughs> where everyone has an elongated mouths and there's like cakes trying to eat people and there's a Buzz Lightyear but he looks thoroughly demented and has giant long fingers. Um, if you took one of those images and used it as the prompt for a horror film or something, yeah, I, I mean it would totally work. Yeah, and then it would be like that. That would be quite good, wouldn't it? Mm. Because you'd be able to market it as like the first film that was based on yeah. ChatGPT and AI. And I feel stuff. like this would be quite a good sequel to Dark, uh, Dead Souls by Sam Riviere. Mm. Uh, be- because in that novel, um, people are plagiarizing each other because there's no original ideas anymore, mm. and they uh, they'd like tramp- clamp down on plagiarism to try and fetishize originality with hilarious and disastrous <laughs> consequences. Well, AI can can plausibly come up with things that we could never imagine because they because yeah. it's using different logics and stuff, things that are bizarre but different. So you could just pump all of you could just have AI. This is what people are worried about, isn't it? You could just have AI making novels, films, video games, like looking at the corpus of things that already exist. But isn't that kind of how mass marketing of a lot of popular culture works anyway? It is, yeah. Like you, you look at what exists and... Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, that, that's how it works. Though. And and as we see in M3Gun, mm. um, that's that's how my dad says it. No, it's not really. That's just a thing Lee and Harry used to say. Yeah. That that's what you do, isn't it? You look for the gap in the market. Mm. You copy what already exists. You try and do it a bit better. Yeah. Well, someone. This is slightly tangential, but someone was telling me the other day that with comics now, uh, they are using digitally uh, created backgrounds for the characters. So you get AI to generate a background scenario. So the crowds are what they're doing in the mm. background, and it's all done on a computer. And then you just draw the characters in the foreground. But now they've got obviously hundreds of years of not hundreds of years, decades and decades <laughs> of comic books that they can scan in. So you could basically type it. Was there not any comic books in the 18th century? Interesting question. I think there possibly was in Japan. It might be an interesting question, but I bet the answer isn't interesting. No, so carry it's not. On. So, thank you. That's um, okay. So, yeah, so you basically have AI, like doing, the you have the back, AI doing the background and the foregrounds, but now with what you've just shown is you can have AI writing the plot. Yeah. And you can have the plot, and the plot, you could just be typing the things that are popular. So you could type in, if you're writing a YA novel, you could type in Colleen Hoover, Taylor Jenkins, what's her name? Reed. Taylor Jenkins Reed, the Gothic or whatever. Press the button, it produces a novel. Um, mm. And then, as I was thinking about it, well, actually, my interlocutor said, they've already done it, that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. It's all Fair. just algorithms, yeah. So Algorithms. Yeah. Anyway, Joe, what is yeah. this increasingly technologically focused podcast? I don't know, but it doesn't seem to be talking about satire, does it? <laughs> no. It's worth more talk about algorithms and uh, plagiarism. Well, I suppose the question. Oh, it is was, satire spotlight, isn't it? We already said in the spotlight. intro. Yeah. I'm host one. <laughs> I'm host two. Um, senior host in hosting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I exist in uh, the ether. <laughs> <laughs> That's, the, that's enough for housekeeping it is it is no, it's it's not no. Really, so this, is it? what is this Smith podcast really? we'll talk about satire yeah, podcast um, in which I Joe War and, and me Adam, Adam Smith. Smith talk about the form function future and history and, but, but it seems like quite a lot about the future of yeah, satire yeah. today yeah I don't know that came out really kind of fortuitously didn't it are you it? an AI um, <laughs> you um, well ricochet <laughs> that's your clue right um, okay, should we have a topical segment? Let's do a topical segment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about Harry and Meghan? Well, they've been in the news recently, haven't they? Quite a yeah. lot. And that has generated a lot of parody and satire. And mm. um, I mean, before we get on to the best-selling non-fiction book of all time, which is Spare, Spare. Uh, 
I just want to go back to the documentary they released. Yes. Um, and actually, this is a bit AIE as well. People using deepfake technology um, and AI voice technology yeah. uh, to produce parodies of it. And uh, I've got one here that I, that I did quite enjoy. Amazing. Um, shall I open that up? Please do. I always knew that we were being outcasted, but, but when I played the voice messages that my grandmama sent me, I was devastated. Hi, you ginger bastard fam. You have right pissed me and daddy fell off. I wish you were more like Andrew. Talking of kids, enjoy sending yours to an American school. At least we don't have to wear a bulletproof vest to geography. Pussy. Well, that's very good, isn't it? Um, um, yeah. So, yeah. well, how is it? How what is going on with that? Why is that funny? Why is it? What what's happening? Well, just the Queen saying like "ginger bastard" and "pussy" and stuff. Yeah. That's quite funny in itself, isn't it? But they've like, what what have they like put everything up she's ever said into some kind of algorithm? <laughs> I, think they have. <laughs> I think it's probably an algorithm, isn't yeah, it? Probably, it's an algorithm. That's yeah, what yeah they've be, got these yeah. algorithms now. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They've these algorithms. Um, I mean, there's there's a bathos of having the Queen say. Mm. You ginger twat fam. Yeah, um, like it, it's actually reminds me of Alexander Pope and the rape of Locke because don't cringe. <laughs> trying to keep it pedagogical. Okay. It's pedagogically sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's a line in Rape of Locke where he says, uh, "And here, where Queen Anne of three realms obey, who sometimes coffee takes and sometimes tea." Like part of the joke, such as it is, mm. um, is she might be the Queen of England, Scotland, and Wales. But she also drinks tea and coffee the same as you mm. and me, and I mean that's it's hilarious, isn't it? That's it, a good joke. It's much milder yeah. than what we've just seen, but it's the same. It's kind of trying to the high broad yeah, load. Yeah, yeah, that she would load. send a voice note. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also the grandmama stuff. Like as we learn mm. from Spare, they do have these nicknames for each other. Yeah. So it's not outlandish that she would call Prince Philip Daddy Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think she probably calls him like Grandpapa Papa or something. Yeah. She? Yeah, and it's also like it's a better version of well it was making me think of two things you know like um you sat nav in a car mm. and how it can't say everything properly like it'd be like it can say at the end of the road turn left and that's mm. normal but then like some things it can't get right so like mine always says um it can't say sheffield it says sheffield mm. and um also that god-awful delivery advert mm. that was on a lot at christmas go we've got food we've got food food, food. yeah <laughs> yeah that, um I don't know, people seem to like yeah. robotic voices. Peniston Road in Sheffield. Uh, oh, yeah, I bet Statnav would like that. Yeah, yeah. Can't, can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, um, very so, good. So is, yeah. And um, and then he was in the news again for saying that he killed 25 Talibans. Now, this is an interesting one. Cause I, I think he could kill 25 members of the Taliban. There's only one <laughs> Taliban that we know of, <laughs> yeah, thankfully. Yeah. That was the headline, though. And you know, one newspaper that was outraged by this was the Daily Express. Right, why is that? Um, well, they had some people from the military on saying that this is against the code of conduct, like it's dishonourable to mm. talk about how many people you've killed. They also went on to say that it brings unnecessary um, security risks to the country, but also... Well, I think to, they probably already knew we mm, killed people. But also to Harry yeah. and Meghan yeah, yeah. And, and stuff like that. However, do you know? did you know that in 2002, the Daily Express headline was... Uh, oh, yeah, Brave Harry. No, no, because he would have only been a child then. Uh, no, what, no, no. Was, was that the one? Brave Harry right, get, so gets his first kill. Probably not 2002 then. 
2012, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah 2012. Yeah, sorry, yeah. 2012. Everyone, as a uh, fact check. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he killed killed his first Taliban, and then a week later, it was like Harry's killed five mm. Taliban's, our glorious hero. Yeah. So they were really uh, fetishizing the kills. Then. I sometimes think the Daily Express just chats shit, though. Don't it, they? it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but just um, to... yeah. So so he did all of that, and why was he? making Netflix documentaries and publishing kind of snippets of things that had happened Just to him. Just victory to power. Quite, um, yes. Yes, it could be that. Yeah, no, that's... I hadn't thought of that, but... Oh, sorry, I was thinking I was in a seminar then. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but speaking truth to power, yes. Mm-hmm. What, what else could it be? To promote the release of his new novel well not novel it's not a novel <laughs> it's a, sorry <laughs> interesting it's autobiography I feel like it should be doing an Ian Hislop like yeah 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 that's actually very yeah well that's something that I do think is interesting about it so, so an autobiography has come out called Spare mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's Harry's story in his own words yeah and as I well, to, well arguably uh, not his own words it's yeah. ghost yeah and it's yeah it's his it's his experience Apparently, in a book, and as I mentioned earlier, it's the it's now currently the best-selling non-fiction work of non-fiction ever published. Mm. Um, and but it's interesting, I think, because it starts with this line: "My memory is my memory. It does what it does. Gathers and curates. Memory's gonna memory. <laughs> Memory's gonna memory. It does what it does. Gathers and curates as it sees fit. And there's just as much truth in what I remember and how I remember it is." In, as there is in so-called objective facts, mm. which I think is fairly typical of the life writing genre, to be like, well, I'm, yeah. what I'm sharing is my memory. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting because the book also contains no quotation marks, so whenever someone speaks, it's in italics. How, that is like the worst thing. Yeah. You can. How many times have you written like no no italics for quotations? I know. Yeah. And it doesn't cite any evidence for anything either. It's got, it got, mm. but it's, it's framed in such a way that it doesn't need to because it's his experience, it's his yeah. memories, and a lot of it is it's a bit like Tristram Shandy in that it's him speaking his thoughts, like or and often that tends to be um, insults of, towards the media. Yeah. And people who have. And he has like uh, almost like you might in a satire, doesn't he? He has like um, pseudonyms for people like uh, Rebecca Brooks, oh, or yeah. he calls rehabber cooks or yeah, something. Yeah, and there's the thumb, which is Piers Morgan. Ah, uh, right, well. yeah. And his army of thumbs, which uh, the thumb and his army of thumbs is actually like getting into the territory of the Dunciad, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and the ghostwriter might have helped with that one. Um, but yeah, it's true that is what memory does, and that is what, um, like, like you say, that is what life writing is. It's hard to think of any biography or autobiography where you couldn't say well that's your subjective and also you you read the biographies and autobiographies for a subjective mm. if i wanted to just know where harry was born and when he went to school I, th- that information is readily available yeah. but what you want to see is as phoebe maltz bovey talks about this book on the excellent podcast feminine chaos and says um Mm-hmm. It's a good podcast. Yeah, it's a very good yeah. podcast, yeah. Um, and she, she's read the whole thing, and she sort of says, like, well, it is, he does live in a gilded cage, but, you know, that that gilded cage is fascinating, and that's what we want to see. Mm. We, you want to see what it feels like to be to be inside of that, mm. um, whether, you, whether you think it's right that it exists or not. The, I think it's hard to deny that it's intriguing. It is intriguing. Mm. And, but something that I also find uh, interesting about... So it's got no quotation marks because he, he's being careful not to quote anyone because that might bring about legal action. Yeah. Um, also, palace lawyers are ready to, to react strongly to any unauthorised use of personal letters and private documents. So he couldn't... It's unlikely that he would have evidence to hand if he needed it. So instead, 
it's in mm. this genre of this is my feelings, this is my yeah. memory, this is my experience. Uh, oh, right, so it's, it's kind of, it's more than just an acknowledgement of subjectivity in this statement, isn't it? It's like, you can't you can't sue me for my yeah, curated Yeah, I think memory. so. But what yeah. it reminds me of is um, Andrew Bricker and uh, libel in the courts and mm. stuff. You know, all the, the sort of um, legal, uh, sorry, vocal ambiguity, verbal ambiguity and the strategies that satire took to avoid prosecution. Uh, but but it just reminds me of other things, isn't it? So mm. Because even though... So people aren't going to... Like, just based on the media coverage, people aren't going, oh, well, he said this about Piers Morgan and or he said this about the press or he said this about Camilla. A lot of it's about mm. Camilla and yeah, how she briefed against Yeah, he doesn't like her, does he? No. no. Um, people aren't going, oh, well, that was just his experience in a subjective uh, autobiography that fits within the life-writing genre. Yeah. They're like, oh, he's made this accusation. So he might as well have made the accusation, but he's not legally yeah. culpable. Which just reminds me of what's gone wrong with academia. Does it? Yeah. Right, okay. Well, not necessarily what's mm. wrong, but it's interesting, isn't it, that we have uh, a branching, I think, we've talked about it before in, at the moment, where you have sort of traditional peer review academia, which is which is all about uh, citing your sources and get, going through the relative scrutiny. But then we have something original. But then there's also a completely legitimate other genre, which is mm. the fictocritical essay, the more autobiographical essay, um, and I shouldn't have said the thing that's gone wrong with academia, but that I do. The thing that has happened, and I see it in students' work, is things that are more fictocritical, creative, mm. which are inspired by philosophical questions or social issue problems, so you know, social justice issues, but are written in this creative genre, being treated mm. the same as if they've gone through the uh, processes mm. of academic rigor, um, and and being treated balanced equal, like getting equal weight in the perceptions of people um, and then that leads to people saying well academics have got academics have gone off the deep end because they've said this and it's unjustifiable well actually that academic said it in a context where they're speaking fictocritically about their own experience yeah. it's different from if they'd written it in a peer reviewed journal yeah I just thought it was parallel do you yeah yeah, yeah. You cut I all that out it if is. it's not relevant um, well we, we'll see when we do some back yeah. um, so do you want to just not look at the screen for a bit yeah. while I read I'm going to read some little extracts and you're going to tell me if you think they're actually from Spare or if you think that I've totally invented them hello listener I'm okay. just in your left ear now because I've gone into the corner it says I can't see Joe but you've got the you've got the microphone with the left ear with me yep okay so I'll be over here where I was before uh, true, true or false Spare or despair mm -hmm. time fixed my todger when would it work its magic on my heart uh that's <laughs> despair despair not spare no it's despair that's real that's real <laughs> yeah time fixed my todger that's what they should have called <laughs> the song really got better from the frost that should have been the subtitle yeah. yeah time fixed my todger how to describe mummy she was light pa was dark she was an angel pa a devil mummy mummy Funny how a word can both gain and lose meaning if you say it enough. Ma, the first syllable of monkey, mother, musk, and mumps. Me, a name I call myself. Far, a long, long way to go. No. Spare or despair? <laughs> I thought that was real until the end. Uh, <laughs> despair. Yeah, you're despair. right, it's despair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mounted her quickly, after which she spanked my ass and sent me away. One of my many mistakes was letting it happen in a field just behind a very busy pub. No doubt someone had seen us. I think that's spare. It is spare. Yeah, yeah or, 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 or AI. An old lady in a field or something, didn't Did he? Did he? Yeah. Um, uh, what was the universe trying to say to me by depriving me of both my penis and my brother? 
My penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatised, like some kind of bizarre metronome. The last place I wanted to be frostbitten. I'd been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used to use that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? That's real. That's real. Yeah. 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 Very good. Uh, as I walked down the aisle, my breath was quite literally taken away by the sight of my beautiful, magical Megan. Is it weird to say that in that moment, I felt mummy by my side more closely than ever? That as I raised the veil and kissed Megan's lips, it was in a way my mummy I was kissing? I don't know. That's plausible, but I think that's not real. It's not real. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you would have known if I'd read the last sentence that it's also not real, which is I've never received an Amazon package. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's completely made up. Did, okay. Did yeah, the, I did enjoy did that. Enjoy it's hard yeah. though. It's difficult. Get back in everybody's ears now. Yeah, it's difficult because they are. They were very plausible. Yeah. yeah. I would. I would be interested to see what AI could do with spare. If you scanned if you it in said, and then asked it a question. Right, what would you say? Oh, scan the whole novel in scan and Scan the whole novel and then say to it, uh, tell me about Rebecca Brooks and see what we yeah. do. Yeah. Rehabber cooks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so have you read Spare? Uh, no, I haven't. I've no, seen, I haven't. So I've, seen I've, read, I've looked at some, helpfully, it's been serialised. Mm. Serialised and satirised. Yeah, but here's the interesting thing about the serialisation. So the, as I get, from what I understand... It, most of it, 80% of it, is an attack on the free press. Mm. Uh, and it treats the press as a homogenous and evil thing. Uh, when I think what it means is the tabloid press. But anyway, uh, so it's going after the whole press, and um, particularly Rebecca Brooks. Mm. But then it was also serialised in a lot of the Murdoch papers and press. Oh, so, Alanis, where are you now? Yeah. Isn't so, it... Yeah, and I guess they're like, well, how do I get the message out to people? But mm. interestingly, in the Sun, they re- they left out the chapter where he slags off uh, Rebecca Brooks. So it's just it's yeah. interesting because there's also the stuff. About so I guess when Prince William reads it out loud to his children, he leaves out the bit where he like grabs him by the necklace and throws him in the dog's bowl or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I do. I know this isn't satire. One of the things that I find really interesting is the different houses briefing against each other all the time. Yeah, which. Uh, so the idea that Camilla and Charles throw Harry under the bus to distract or like make themselves look better, um, but but ha- you know his people did that as well. Like Harry's yeah. people did that as well, and the idea that he hates the press, but also it's being syndicated in the press, uh, it's just it's just interesting, isn't it? Yeah. How else would he get his truth out there though? Yeah, I mean, I suppose he would say I don't hate the press as a concept. Mm. I don't hate the fact that there are newspapers. I hate the way certain sectors of it operate, and yeah. specifically on me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I presume probably, like, agrees that newspapers broadly are okay yeah. as a concept. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been, been satirised, hasn't it? it Do has. you want to talk about that a yes, little bit? Yes, let's have a quick yeah. talk about that. Uh, should we have a look at this one? Okay. So, this is going to be a clip from Harry... Reading his book on Audible, um, and it's been retweeted by the Accidental Partridge. Yeah, and what's Twitter the Accidental account. Partridge account? This is people quote tweeting or retweeting and saying moments where real people sound a bit like something else. Yeah. Partridge, you might say. Yeah. Okay. I asked him to remind me what was this editor's name. He said it, and I committed it to memory. But in the years since then, I've avoided speaking it, and I don't wish to repeat it here. Spare the reader, but also myself. Besides. Can it possibly be a coincidence that the name of the woman who pretended I went to rehab is a perfect anagram for rehab a Is the universe not saying something there? 
That, so, re, rehab a cooks. It reminds yeah. me, not only does it Alan Partridge that actually reminds me of um, Douglas Adams' Dirt Gently Holistic Detective Agency, where Dirt Gently sees connections between all kinds of things. The idea that he's drawn the connection, the universe is telling something because the name yeah. can be respelled as rehab, and he, she misreported that he went to rehab. It. it it's, yeah. it's pretty funny, isn't it? It's, if, if the universe had a mind and it w- wanted to send people messages, mm. I don't think it would just like give people anagrams for their names. Would yeah, it? like no. that that would be an odd way to to go on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think you probably shouldn't listen to that. We've got another clip here, haven't you? Yeah. Should so this is this one? is another genre of um, of meme. So you, it looks exactly like a clip from Spare, but then when you click it, it's it's not real. Right, okay, let's... Um... Towards the end of her life, Granny just kept saying the same thing over and over again. He's coming. He's coming for me. But Granny, who's coming for you, I would ask. Paddington, she said. The little brown bear. He's coming. <laughs> that one, because yeah. this just calls back to the meme that Paddington yeah. is the Grim Reaper, I like the, the idea that, um, yeah, she is terrified of him, of him coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, okay. that Paddington thing was was nauseating, wasn't it? Yeah, just um, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, just some other things that happened. Like it, this came out at the same time as a novel called How to Kill Your Family. Which oh yeah, is and it was uh, put in the window together with the book called yeah. How to Kill Your Family. Yeah. Um, what else happened? Um, this was the story of somebody called Karen who phoned in to speak to um, uh, Phil and Holly, Phil our and Holly. stalwarts of the yeah. satire podcast, uh, um, to say <laughs> to say that she's going to stop following them on Instagram. And they just <laughs> absolutely destroyed. <laughs> they do. So yeah, they, so they they're doing their big sympathetic concerned yeah. faces, and just the caption on the tweet that went viral was difficult to describe how funny this screenshot is because it just says Karen. Uh, you know, like a cool thing. Uh, I've unfollowed Harry and Megan on Instagram. Harry and Megan quit your reaction. It's yeah. just, yeah, that is lovely. Yeah. The um, fact that she's called Karen as well does end. Yeah, that's, um, that's fortunate, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, what, what else have you... Uh, so there, there's some bit Ben Jennings cartoons, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if we have time to go into these, but um, it, what, how would you describe the image on the left? Um, it's Harry looking at his reflection in the water at the bottom of a dog bowl. Um and he and he looks cross. Mm, a porcelain dog bowl, I think, isn't it? Like Probably. A, yeah. I don't know why I'm included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's think. Let's, yeah. let's move on from okay. that. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. gosh, Harry's Hack Watch. Can I just talk about this? Hack so Watch. yeah. Yes, talk, so there's a new so there's a new feature in the private eye called Harry's Hack Watch, and the conceit. This is. I do think this is wonderful. So the conceit of this is that. Um, Prince Harry is basically a correspondent for Private Eye mm-hmm. um, and they go through so they basically fact check the whole book and where Harry is actually onto something about shady dealings in the media they include it and when mm. he picks so and actually some of the things that he's picking out are exactly the kind of hypocrisies and contradictions that Private Eye already does so I, th- I think that's really nice there's so they're satirising the idea of him being a kind of astute observer of contemporary media and truth and politics yeah. but also at the same time drawing attention to the fact that occasionally he yeah. is and the way yeah. they do it is it's kind of like this is what Harry said this is what he was right about this bit is weird so, like, yeah. so they're kind of distangling it but I love the idea that he is this kind of vigilante journalist who is like bringing justice to the press um, so like um, so the kinds of things they pick up on, for example, is that you know he w- he was correct about 
or it seems he was correct about Camilla briefing against him mm. and releasing a fake and her people releasing a fake story about him being on drugs at a time when they were trying to make true Charles that he look was better. On drugs. Well, he does this whole thing about how that it was complete fantasy, the the, the, the occasion that they're oh, describing. Oh right, okay, the occasion rather than the. Habit, but then yeah. at the end, Private Eyes like, but also on page seventy seven, he talks about how when he was thirteen, he did loads of cocaine at eighteen yeah. and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, Harry Tackwatch, I think, is a really clever use yeah. of this whole thing. Um, yeah. Would you Would you read Spare? Um, if I had a free credit and nothing else to spend it on on Audible, mm. I'd be tempted. Uh, I wouldn't want to spend money but on you it. Wouldn't want to read the, you wouldn't want to listen to the whole thing, would you? If you had like a long walk or whatever, mm. you would get bored of that sort of whiny, posh voice. Well, I would probably like read bits of it if it was on the on the bookshelves in like a cottage you were staying in or something, mm. like a holiday cottage, which doubtless by in a few years' time it will be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd probably read it and read bits of it out loud. But then everybody kind of knows all the funny bits anyway, don't they? Yeah. But you know, that's actually how I read a lot of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography, which I think is either called I'm Back or Asta La Vista Baby or Mm. something. Me and my parents in about 2015 Mm. went to a chalet and um, it was there, and I read loads of it. That I mean, I really enjoyed it, but it's not the sort of thing that I would go out of my way to ordinarily read. Last time I was in a cottage, there was a book there about like the history and the people of York. And um, I wish that I'd taken photos of it or stolen it because there was like a passage about how like the people of York are pleasant faced but boring or something like that there is there is sort of writing about them as if they were like a, a species and mm. it was quite funny but, um, yeah should have um, brought that in yeah and um yeah but, uh, but a, all this stuff with harry mm. aligned quite nicely with the release of a channel 4 special production over christmas yep which Prince you very Andrew much the musical yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was in that sort of hinterland between Christmas and New Year where you, you don't even you don't even know what day it is. Do yeah. You? And, yeah. Um, and that was on television one evening, and uh, I thought it was thought it was really good. Yeah. You, you've watched it as well. I've watched you? it as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things is it was quite interesting. So obviously it's a musical and it's very broad. It reminded me really loads of the Windsors. It's even got Harry Enfield in, hasn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, after watching that. Uh, sorry, we're supposed to be talking about Prince no, Andrew the right. musical, but I love the Windsors. Yeah, I yeah. Well, I... I love how William will get like three random weird vowel sounds per episode. Yeah. Like, it's fofty fofty. <laughs> or it drops off. <laughs> yeah. And girls would shoot birds for absolutely no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, um, well, actually, when I got to the end of Prince Andrew the musical, it queued up the Windsors. Yeah. So I watched yeah. loads of it again as well. Yeah, I'm not pretending I'm um, original there. Yeah, yeah. but uh, no, I thought it was really good. Uh, so it tells the story of Prince Andrew's life in this very broad comedic way, but it's interspersed with documentary footage and bits that are sort of Philomena Kunk-esque, like documentary bits where the guy who's playing Prince Andrew is talking about his life and you get snippets You get the of, actual uh, news yeah. footage, yeah. Um, and just like, so one, I'd forgotten actually when I was growing up, the, not in our house particularly, but generally the vibe around Prince Andrew was that he is kind of a hero. Like he's the one who mm. flies helicopters into the Falklands and stuff. I didn't realise that his helicopter was called like the Dirty Slot or something. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or like the Eagle Whore or something like that. Um, so yeah, he was this dashing Ace Rimmer type, wasn't he? He was like the yeah. cool one. He was the fun prince, wasn't yeah. he? Um, um, and I remember the wedding as well. And I won a, a competition at primary school to design. Sarah Ferguson's wedding dress. Oh right! Uh, had a lovely time drawing that wedding dress, and yeah, uh, and I won. But there's also yeah. there but she didn't have to actually wear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she had her own. The um, but there's lots I didn't know or had like not really, never really thought enough about to understand. Like I didn't know that uh, that Fergie and Andrew had that bizarre post-marriage arrangement where they functionally were still married but were yeah. separated and stuff. Because also at the time, I think that was sort of 
generally um, written about as though it was like quite good and nice and mm. mature that they were still they're, they're friends for the for the kids and all that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it, if it really was like that. Yeah. yeah. But there's a great lyric where he says, "Let us end this bizarre derangement and come up with a highly unusual arrangement," <laughs> or something like that. Isn't it? Good, good use of the feminine rhyme. Yeah. 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 Um, comic purposes. But the thing that really stayed with me is the final song. I mean, it's also was worth that, saying. There'll that always be an Andrew. Everyone needs an Andrew. Yeah. Um, so this is a confrontation between Andrew and Charles after the devastating interview and all of the mm. claims and accusations have come out and it's basically indefensible. And Charles says, that's it now. Charles, who is played by someone who doesn't look very much like Prince Charles. No. But he's still doing quite a good impression. Um, and he's like, you're being cast out. We don't want you anymore. And Andrew says, you'll never fully get rid of me because everyone needs an Andrew. And the idea is that Andrew is whatever Charles needs him to, whatever Charles mm. needs him to be. So if Charles wants to look good, Andrew is the devil. Yeah. If uh, Charles needs to look moderate, Andrew is extreme. And it just made me think, Harry's kind of filling that function now, isn't he? But also, I mean, a lot of the commentary around Harry and Spare has been like, you know, you, you're condemning this guy for being like a bit a bit dumb. Mm. But why aren't you condemning Andrew for yeah. all of his... It's interesting in the Windsors, isn't it? Because I don't think I knew all of the like gossip and rumours about Andrew when that first came out. No. But he is portrayed as like a really horrible, sadistic prick yeah. in that. <laughs> and Fergie still like loves him. Yeah. And she she watches him at, at a party. Like he holds out a tray of canapes or something to another woman, and it's a mouse trap, and she's screaming because her hand's caught in the mouse trap. Oh. And then Casey Wicks is Fergie is like. I remember when he used to do that to me. <laughs> In the Prince Andrew musical. Oh, school, girls. <laughs> Sorry. They have that recurring gag about it, how their two kids, isn't it? Princess Beatrice and the other one. Yeah. Like they never they never know her name. No yeah. one, not even Andrew knows what the other one's name is. It's Pippa, isn't it? You're Eugenie. I can see why. Yeah. Pippa's Kate's sister. Oh, okay. I've got it. You see, I, yeah. don't, I didn't really follow this. Yeah, I'm an avid royal watcher, me. <laughs> Avid satire of the Royals Watcher, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, that was that was very good, wasn't it? And it was kind of Channel Four, I think. A lot yeah. of people said saying, like, "Fuck you, you can chat about privatizing us, but we, we yeah. get to we get to do this stuff." Yeah. Also, just some great tunes. Great tunes. Well, it's like great really tunes. catchy. Love a show tune. Yeah, I, I do Love like it. Music, I don't. I do like musicals, and uh, do you? In a way. What's your favourite musical? Phantom of the Opera. Ugh. No, it's okay. not. It's right. fr- well, it is. I mean, but I also really like um, the one on the boat. Specific? <laughs> no, it's a really camp musical about an orchestra, like orchestra and dancers and sailors on this boat. Okay. And um, it's all really heightened and super camp with some great tunes. I can't remember. Could it have been a dream? Could have been. Yeah. Sorry, the crucible in Sheffield though. Okay. Could you dream that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember what it was called. What it's was called it called? Showboat. Um, so in a minute, we're going to do a bit of a consumer roundup, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Um, and talk about some some satirical output. But yep. is there anything that's happened this year that we haven't really talked about in terms of satire and the news that you want to talk about, host two? Um, yeah, host two. Yeah. So while I actually compiled a big list of things that happened in twenty twenty two for a feature that's going to be unfeasibly large to do. Mm. So actually, I've just been thinking, having done that, what's my favourite one? Mm. And it's very difficult because we had obviously all the stuff 
the satire around the Queen's funeral, not at the Queen's expense, but at the, around the coverage of the Queen's funeral. Yeah, I don't everything, think the funeral was at the Queen's expense, was it? Everything with Quasi Quartet crashing. <laughs> Yeah, Cosy Cutting crashing the economy, all of these yeah. kinds of things. I think this is this gets the Adam Smith Award for my favourite piece of satire that we've not talked about in the podcast okay. of twenty twenty two. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to act. Have you done any acting? I've acted in the National. Well, what kind of actor worth their salt has not performed at the National? That would be embarrassing. Can you give me a Hamlet? That is brilliant, to be fair. As an actor, what's your favourite Vin Diesel film franchise? Too Fast. Is that what it's called? Too Far and Too Fast and nope. Speeded Up Road Project. Are you trying to say Too Fast, Too Furious? Yes. So do you still want to be an actor? That's why I get up each morning. Yes, and I've actually heard that your alarm clock sound is Under Pressure by Queen. Can you sing a little bit of that for us? Pressure, pressure here in, pressure here in Britain. Lovely. So, what job do you do now, Liz? Prime Minister. And who's your Chancellor? This week? Yeah. Jeremy Hunt. And how's the working relationship? Painful. So is there a reason that everything's going wrong? I'm not focused. Do you remember when you tanked the pound? Well, look, yeah. It was funny, to be fair. But hasn't the Conservative Party completely ruined the country? We simply cannot afford to spend our time talking about the Conservative Party. That seems fair. What should we focus on? Our success. Will do. Final question. What does Jacob Rees-Mogg smell like? We. Any final thoughts? I will stay in the job. Oh, f***. Yeah, I thought that was lovely, Dad. Yeah. Well done, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so yes, well it was done, very Will Seabag. Uh, okay, so that was that's your favourite thing, and yeah. that we that's nice. We've got some got some specific things we want to talk about, haven't we? We have. Yeah. Uh, and the first one, which one should we talk about first? You think? Um, Megan. Mithrigan. Mithrigan. Yeah. So what is Mithrigan? Um, it's a film. Yeah. <laughs> one word. Yeah. <laughs> one one number and four letters. Uh, yeah. So it's a film about a little. Um, girl who loses her parents goes to live with her aunt um who is like a tech a texas mm. like a tech bro but a girl um and she works for a company that makes something that looks an awful lot like furbies they're looking for the next big thing that's gonna fly off the, che- off the shelves and she creates this sort of like what, what would you say is she like an android or yeah, she is an android. Yeah, she's so an android. They talk about as a toy, but she's a yeah. Um, so she's the sort of size, shape, and voice of a nine-year-old girl, but dressed in a really weird way, mm. like a freaky Edwardian doll. Mm. And Aunt Gemma kind of subcontracts the the whole tricky, messy process of helping Katie negotiate her grief by giving her this doll, which is the sort of supercharged equivalent of bugging a kid an iPad to keep them quiet or yeah. indeed the, the Fur- Furby style doll that Katie had yeah. when her parents crashed and um, it all goes horribly wrong doesn't it because mm. Megan is also a cold hearted killer what did you think well, to it what were you she becomes a cold hearted killer so I really enjoyed mm. the film one of the things I liked about it is it reminded me of the things I like about the child play films which is right. just, the, just the toy just the killing the, and, no, no, the, yeah. the idea that this this toy this animatronic toy saying horrific things or doing horrific yeah. things which is quite funny isn't it um, but what I liked is that whereas in Chucky the doll is possessed by a serial killer who is trying to kill the kids and the family, in this one, Megan is an AI designed to protect and support mm. and nurture this child. So all of the terrible things that she ends up doing... Algorithm. She's an algorithm, yeah. yeah. It's the result of her trying to serve her primary function, but also because mm. she's AI, she learns. But she also so, flips, ultimately, doesn't she, out of her primary function because when Katie kind of sets the big robot on her she goes like you ungrateful little bitch yeah she does she does um but for most of it it's kind of the question of you know we've got this ai it's doing what it's supposed to do with terrible consequences because it's learning from us Mm. um and uh i i I just thought that the megan doll 
I thought yeah. they did it all wonderfully. I like, thought it was brilliant. My favourite bit of the film is when they, they're putting together an advert of all the things that Megan can do, filming her with Katie. And then she's like, did you know that rain comes from da-da-da-da-da? And Katie's, and Katie's like, really? She's like, yeah. She's like, that's cool. She goes, isn't it? <laughs> she's like... It's and just... they, when they have the ad very early on for the funky toy, which is like a Furby, and it's, it starts with the child who's like just at the graveside of a dog, and it's like, well, I had a pet, but he died. But you know what doesn't die? A funky dog. <laughs> yeah. And I think those moments were quite... Uh, they were so extreme as to make you think you might be watching satire. Yeah. I, I liked the scene of Titanium as well. Oh, God. That, well, that's... She just sings it as a lullaby, but also just stops randomly. Well, that's also... Through. I mean, that's really funny and surreal. Um, and it's caused a lot of chat on the internet, particularly mm. on TikTok. And it's been stuff. a very viral film, hasn't it? But I like the idea that, again, it's the AI thing, isn't it? So she's, she's got this corpus of information to draw upon to react to certain scenarios. Mm. And that's just picked the first, like few bars of titanium yeah. as a night time as but a bedtime. also isn't it aren't we told really early on that she is made from titanium yeah yeah that titanium, makes more sense. titanium yeah so it's like the titanium graph thing all yeah. over again isn't it it is that. and, so she's, so and she's, it is a song about resilience as well is. isn't it but yeah. she sings it like a she sings it like a lullaby and she stops singing it exactly at the point where in the actual song kind of the beat comes in and it yeah. all kicks off she just goes like, I am titanium. So she's trying to no, do a lullaby yeah. for people who haven't seen the film. But I think that perfectly encapsulates what we were talking about at the start of this episode about AI. So there's a perfect mm. rationale for everything that she's done. Like the thought process yeah. that's led to her doing that is faultless, but it's weird. Yeah. Because <laughs> you just wouldn't sing that song as a nursery rhyme. You wouldn't stop it as bluntly as that. Even Katie looks a bit perturbed at that. Yeah. yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> Um, and there are some bits that I think are like knowing nods to like mm. so for example when the little boy is bullying Katie and Megan gets wind of this and comes to the forest to, to sort it out um, and she is it before or after she starts pulling his ears when she says this is the part where you run yeah and it's like well how, where did you get that like yeah. phrase from yeah. but then and then at the end there seems to be like a lot of knowing nods to all kinds of things so, so what do we say there's like shades of the zombie logic mm. wherein she can only be killed with a screwdriver to the yeah. head but she's also the Chucky parallel has been kind of underlying all yeah. the way through but it's also very much like the end of the first Terminator film as yeah. much as it doesn't matter you what's, can like rip her face off and she'll still just what's the name of her Kara the surrogate mum Gemma Gemma yeah so this is meta oh and the dog that's really oh, yeah. funny <laughs> <laughs> so in the final showdown so yeah it's very Terminator-esque Megan's all battered and trying to kill um, well she, she's like a torso with her flesh ripped yeah. off isn't she but she's still trying coming to kill after her Gemma and Gemma ends up reaching for a chainsaw. So, mm. and the way they shoot it, it's it's like a really explicit homage of the Evil Dead yeah. Two, um, where famously Ash fights off the Evil Dead with a chainsaw. But also, um, I remembered after we watched the film, Child's Play Two, where the kid ends up fighting Chucky in the factory where all the Chucky's are made, and Chucky grabs a chainsaw. Right. In, in a scene that's a deliberate homage of Evil Dead. So, like, the because layers of meta. Very, yeah. Yeah. And also, Chucky and Megan chatting shit to each other on Twitter as well. Right. So, there's the dedicated account 
the Chucky account and the Megan account. Yeah. When the trailer for Megan came out, Chucky quote tweeted and said, "Everybody wants to be me." And then the two of them have had this spat uh, oh, that's, that's been going amazing. on for weeks. So it's super meta. Yeah, the, the, I think this conversation is making me sort of think that it, it is not just a commentary on tech and stuff, but it it, it is satirical. That kind of knowing interweaving of all of those different mm. kinds of films and narratives. And some of the extreme and humorous moments yeah. um, do seem to, to sort of caution about, about these things. Well, some of the coverage has suggested that it's mm. a satire. So the Spectator say it's a biting satire on uh, the impact of screen time on children. Mm. Uh, USA Today said it's a social media savvy Black Mirror-esque satire. I think putting Black Mirror-esque at the start of satire just gets you out of having to explain why it's satire, doesn't it? Because yeah. you sure it's like Black Mirror. But because then, every episode of Black Mirror is different anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and the Lawton Constitutional the magazine I'm sure you're familiar with said uh, it's a satirical look at technology mm. but I was thinking about this so with the screen time thing it's spoken overtly at the start of the film isn't it and yeah. there's, the, there's a really funny bit where Katie says to Gemma where, g- g- what about screen time and yeah. Gemma's like I don't care yeah, yeah. Um, so that is in there and it is if you took that to a log- like an ex- ludicrous extent you would have Megan which is kind mm. of what satire does isn't it exaggerates something to tr- show that it's ridiculous or dangerous um, I don't, but I thought one of the ticks in the box for the case against it being satire uh, so, so I think it has satirical moments, mm. is it a satire I think the fact that it resolves would suggest not it's a happy ending isn't it well but aren't we left with a strong sense that there's room for a sequel because we we see her it's the Elsie device but it's basically an Alexa isn't it and we see it like whirring round on its area of the room and we kind of know well like in Terminator Mm. somebody might find Megan's arm and keep it in a I was thinking just in terms of like the theme Gemma and Megan realise that the way of get, working through trauma is to put the screens down and sit with each other and have difficult conversations. Yes, because that, there's that bit, isn't there, where she's mm. really kind of acting out her grief and yeah. Gemma says, like, should have let you do this before. Whereas satire tends to stage an intervention without suggesting a solution. Mm. This film does suggest a solution, but then, you, as you say, it's undermined by the existence of the Alexa at the end because it's like, well, they yeah. might think that now, but how sustainable is that if they're addicted to... Because the little girl is treated like an addict, isn't she? Mm. They basically make a gold cold, cold turkey yeah. to get off the screens. And I think it's not just about screens perhaps as well if it's commenting on anything it is our screens are the way we often deal with it but our unwillingness to engage with emotions that are difficult and messy and ugly and involve like crying and shouting that that is all Gemma just doesn't want to go anywhere near that Mm. and um, and I think also though the death of the parents and uh, Katie's kind of life afterwards is almost dealt with in such a kind of basic and minimalist way that it makes you think like that that's just a device to get us to the place where we have the ai doll because when the car the snowplow goes into the front of the car it's like one of the deaths in a final destination film isn't it it's like you kind of gasp and laugh Mm. a little bit at the same time um also also i suppose because in this film we know it's coming because we know that's the whole premise of the film um, but yeah, I thought it was saying some interesting things about emotions, screens, mm. and doing it in a very kind of clever, elusive yeah. way. My daughter texted and I said, like, I was about to go to the cinema or something the other day. And then when I spoke to her yesterday, she said, like, what did you go and see? And I said, Megan. And she's like, really? Was it good? Really? So I think, like, everybody knows it's viral, but her assumption was it would be, like, really dreadful. But yeah. I don't think it was. No, I, I think it is good. For horror fans as well, not only is there those those homages at the end, there's references to films all the way through. There's a bit where she's, where she's trussed up on a, 
her arms are above her like in a crucifix mm. face very reminiscent of a famous scene from Ghost in the Shell yes um, yeah and also that uh, presumably that itself is a homage to like Leonardo yeah. da Vinci's yeah, thing. yeah, 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 and um, and the finale. Another thing that plays into the finale is it's reminiscent of Aliens, mm. uh, the mech suit in Aliens. So, so without saying too much, it's if film fans are going to love it. It's an I extremely so. literate and self-conscious film. I think mm. it has a satirical resonance. I thought, what a wonderful ninety minutes. Yeah, and if if Ma- Megan two does yeah. appear, I'll also go and see that. Matrigan two. Matrigan two. Yeah, yeah. Matugan. Yeah, yeah. Matrigan. Um, yes, very good. Yeah, I wonder if that's Matrigan. what they'll do, isn't it? They'll call they'll have Matrigan, Matugan, and then Matugan 3D. Oh, I don't think might and be then Matrigan for for. I was I was thinking <laughs> um, if my name was a film and it had to have a number in it because there was actually an AI robot. I was like, oh, is there a way they could do that? And I was like, yes, d- literally. J zero. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, but I don't know what you could do for yours. You could maybe make the M be a three on its side. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The people, they'll have to think about the, that's not art for us to worry about is it no. that's for the people who make us into androids so that's a film about Jeremy yes. making a robot girl to sort out her emotional problems yeah the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, Mona Awad's 2019 novel Bunny yeah uh, which is about a seemingly a group of young girls who can make boys yeah and um, so they're all doing a creative writing is it, is it an MFA it's they're an doing MFA, right, yeah. yeah so they're in there so you've read all of this and I've not quite finished it yeah, yeah. and the reason we're talking about it is well I got it as a birthday present and it Christmas says on the front uh, oh no birthday it, present wasn't it yeah, yeah uh, a wicked satire said the New York Times um, but the person who got to me I've been talking to them about it and we were th- the question was why is it a wicked satire what is it a wicked satire of and I would mm. suggest it's not obvious but I've got yeah. some theories has the person who who gave it to you read it? No. Right. No, but a few people have. Yeah. And no. It's got. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's another TikTok book. It's got a big buzz on TikTok. Mm. But um, yeah, so the, it's about this girl called Samantha, woman called Samantha, who's in her mid twenties, is doing mm. an MFA. She's a bit of a loner type. She has a very close relationship with a friend of hers, who's a bit of another loner type. Uh, yeah. I think it's hinted that they're kind of romantically attracted to each other. Yeah. Don't, don't speak it out loud. A bit like. Um, my year of rest and relaxation had a similar sorority mm. relationship that sort of pushed at the edges of, of that of the homosocial connection thing um, but she goes to this MFA and there's a group of girls called the bunnies who are all like the midwitch cuckoos like they all yeah. they all look exactly the same it's they're sort of a very... mixture of midwitch cuckoos and heathers and yeah. sort of Steps whatever the American equivalent of like Ra's mm, is yeah I think. so they all call each other bunny yeah hey bunny like, you're so funny bunny yeah <laughs> yeah and uh it's and not they, even an audio book is no. it yeah and well do, it probably is but they're yeah. doing this creative writing course which involves mm. them going to a session with a very um ha- a very kind of someone who's not really doing their job very well mm. um the, the teacher who just wants them to talk about their feelings and things and be anxious and they basically produce all of the same kinds of things and then affirm each other endlessly uh, but it turns out that simultaneously to that um, Samantha ends up joining tentatively joining this group and every night because this actually makes me this is magic realism mm. magic realism makes me go like this oh yeah so yeah. basically they get these bunny rabbits and then do a, do something which like a spell type thing and the bunny rabbit will then become a boy but it explodes um, in the process doesn't they it? always yeah. explode they've not got human hands they've got rabbit hands and they're all mm. a bit shit basically yeah. so, but they're creating these boys because they want to have sex with them and they want to have exciting relationships with them but they don't want to go out with actual boys because they're convinced that they're dangerous rapists murderers and mm. everything is bad uh, this goes on for a while Samantha eventually makes one it seems to have gone wrong but it's actually gone right 
and uh, because she's got a broader bank of experiences to draw upon the boy that she's created uh, doesn't explode uh, is a bit edgy like her is attracted to the girl that she's best friends with um, right. and then when the rest of the group find out about this guy it starts to affect them they all get more like him uh, they experience all these emotions that are different from the ones they do and they start to do more edgy and experimental things but it goes too far because they start self-harming and getting depressed and stuff like that so I feel like on the one hand it's a, it's a metaphor for creativity mm. like these boys are like the stories that these people write in MFA classes yeah and because they literally that's their when they when they're thinking about who to make next they're like oh I want it to be like a bit Heathcliff yeah, and a bit yeah. Keats and so they're and I guess the message being that when you write, make a literary creation you're drawing on other yeah. things that you've read and, and I think there's something about these girls these young women haven't got very much life experience they've never had to have a part time job they've never been in a relationship other than like that isn't parasocial mm. um, so their boys they create are a bit naff yeah. Um, whereas when Samantha does actually bring all her experience to bear they can't handle it and it all goes awry so I think that's part of what's going on. Uh, I also found a bit where I think... So this is just after Samantha's tried to turn a rabbit into a boy and it appears to have not worked. It has worked, but we find that out later. Um, and it says uh, one of the bunnies, the girls that she's with, say, uh, too bad, Samantha, they say to me afterwards. Sometimes you fail miserably, hopelessly. It happens even to the best of us. Well, not to us. It's never happened to us. But it can happen, in theory. And that guy... I'm so surprised he didn't rape us repeatedly or kill us or do some sick thing in between. Uh, um, and oh my god, the story he told about the wolf, so weird, obviously twisted, probably he shouldn't have told, we shouldn't have told him our names. He won't remember, will he? I mean, it's not like we're traceable or anything, like he can't track us down like on Facebook or anything. He's insane, isn't he? Murderous. Probably he doesn't even have Facebook. I was like a, um, I was like a breath away from calling the police the whole time, or campus security, or just like screaming rape. You're supposed to yell fire though, because no one comes when you yell rape. Didn't you know that, Bunny? And this is all them having spoken to a guy at a bus stop. Right. Okay. Like the guy yeah. at the bus stop says, "Hey, what are you doing at the bus stop? Uh, what bus are you waiting for?" And then they, so they sort of escalate it to this. It's one of the growing genre of um, hashtag post Me Too. I think so. Novels. Yeah. I think one of the points the novel is making is that line. they have these uh, exaggerated views of the danger they're in from men, mm. and then that is preventing them from having relationships, which is why they're trying to make these yeah. boys and blah, blah, blah. So I think that is what it's possibly a wicked satire yeah. of post-Me Too that culture and its implications. But also perhaps of the creative process, do you think? And the creative process. Yeah, so I think the creative process is the subject of the novel. Mm. And then like one of the satirical resonances is, is to do with this kind of thing. Like the... Mm. the it is about the creative process, but the creative process is kind of also an allegory, an analogy for but, how they view their. But could it not be satirizing, like both. creativity and MFAs and yeah, yeah well, it definitely all is all of yeah. So and that is a target. The thing is, it is a target, and the thing is as well before they before Samantha makes this guy that then introduces him to all these ideas uh, and experiences that they then that then changes their work. All they talk about is gender, right? Um, in their circle, yeah. Okay, so it's like gender quite... constructs and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll crack on with that. And I don't know if I'd recommend you it. Know if sorry, that's... sorry to the person who got it. Me, I enjoyed it. Interesting. Don't know if I enjoyed it after the first twenty pages, okay. but it's certainly something to chew on. Yeah. Um, bunny, you're so funny, bunny. <laughs> hey, bunny. So uh, probably this one will be quite brief because mm -hmm. I was really surprised when you told me that Kate Atkinson's Shrines of Gaiety was billed by the Guardian as a. a well, you've put a head brew, but I think you mean a heady brew <laughs> of crime, romance, and satire. Head brew's um, name my band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I didn't think 
that satire was the primary. I mean, Kate Atkinson is like is is shrewd and caustic and sharp and funny, but I didn't really read Shrines of Gaiety as a satire. Mm. Um, and you haven't started it, so. No, I don't I know think. if you've got anything to comment. No, on. why is it not a satire? Why do you think? Well, I think because there's one character in it is an aspiring novelist, mm-hmm. and he's doing it because he he can't find any other kind of niche in life, and he has all these ideas for. Well, no, he has one idea that he's going to write um, a a novel that will like skewer the contemporary moment that they're in, and it will be called The Age of Glitter, um, and it's really bad, and so it's it's all like set in the twenties. And we we get like extracts from it, and it's it's poor. And I think it might be the Guardian review that said this feels uncomfortably like Kate Atkinson is punching down here because she's mocking a would-be novelist who isn't very good from the perspective of being a not a would-be novelist but an is mm-hmm. ambi novelist. Yeah. Um, and and that feels mean, but I I think that's a bit of an unfair charge to level at her. And then there's a twist at the end which perhaps says something else about creative publishing and novels and so on but I felt that mostly it it's it wasn't satire it was like picaresque uh, romp there's a lot of books about writing isn't there a lot of satire mm. on publishing going on yeah, yeah. and uh, that's a thing that continues in our final example our yeah. final case study today yeah which is uh, uh, Garth Marenghi's Terror Tome. Yes. Yes. So, it, am I right in thinking you've been listening to this on I have Audible? Been to Audible right. Yeah. Is it he? Is it he who reads it? It is. Yeah. Right. So, because yeah. uh, I imagine it in his voice yeah. as well. Um, so, yeah. You you said nobody's saying it's satire. I've not. When I googled it, um, obviously did a lot of careful mm. research. When I googled Terror Tome satire with quote marks around mm. it, and uh, no headlines came up. Okay. Um, but I think it is satirical for sure. Mm. Um, so, what's your what's your thoughts on? Te- well, should we just give a bit of context? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Garth Marenghi is a fictional character. When did the show Garth Marenghi's Dark Place come out? I was going to say early aughts, <laughs> um, and it's about this British horror writer who's. I'd I'd say he's mainly a caricature of someone like James Herbert, with but with aspirations to be Stephen King. Yeah. And the conceit of the show is that back in the 80s he wrote this screenplay and starred in it about this haunted demonic hospital where strange things happened every week and and it's like is really badly produced and poorly scripted and sexist and uh, implausible and the special effects are rubbish but it's it's always framed by the character Garth Marenghi will kind of start each episode by reading a bit from one of his books I very often think about his line and he's he's a kind of very vainglorious type who thinks he's like a shaman and wise and um, like an incredible writer and so on and he says I'm one of the few people who's written more books than they've read yeah. and for some reason I quite often think of that um, yeah. that line when, when I'm thinking about and the one you often quote as well is and then a hell beast <laughs> yeah <laughs> blood blood everywhere ruby red blood her blood and shit and piss <laughs> This was the worst day of her life. Why, oh, why had she opened that tomb? I think, or was it crypt, maybe? Yeah. Um, and there was a pigeon in yeah. one of them as well. So, yeah, this is a kind of long-form version of the little intro bits from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Um, and it's the, the typewriter narrative um, in which this writer kind of he finds an old typewriter in a shop is re- reminiscent of 
first of all of Stephen King's Needful Things, I think, and then the typewriter itself, which becomes hilariously self-aware or is hilariously self-aware that's fairly direct like I don't know how much Stephen King you've read but there's a short story in which the main character is a, a novelist and no he, shit. he, <laughs> he yeah. no no but it goes on Stephen. it goes on he has a very bad wife and a very horrible son but his brother who is much less nice than him mm. has a lovely wife and a lovely son who he treats very badly and the wife and the son die for some reason. I don't know if a snowplow goes in the window or something. Mm. And the son, who was always tinkering around in the garage with a vet, um, and the last time that our hero saw him was mending a typewriter. He leaves the typewriter to the nice guy afterwards, and the, he gets the typewriter and types like, "I am so and so. My wife is this, and my son is that." And uh, and they appear, and he realizes that like whatever he types will appear, and mm-hmm. it's all. Yeah. Like it's the typewriter of, of dreams but this typewriter mm. is very different isn't it What's, yeah. what are the main things that are different about this typewriter well this typewriter promises uh, using um, telepathy mm. which is also we have in Bunny so in Bunny yeah. there's bits where you'll be in free and direct discourse and then first person narrator will be thinking something and then one of the characters that she's created spoiler uh, will finish the sentence and she's mm. like I didn't say that out loud the same thing happens here where Garth Marenghi will be saying something in narration and then the typewriter will speak to it because it can yeah. read his mind um, but yeah this typewriter promises him that he will re- rejuvenate his career and give him the best selling books ever um, if he ju- if all Garth Marenghi has to do is, is repeatedly have strange sex with him yeah. all the time um, and a yeah, lot and, of and, and very unpleasant mm, sex as well yeah, as, yeah whips and, and tw- but he sort of pinching. skates over the logistics of it it's just like then the typewriter had its way with me again and, there's yeah. one bit where it references tentacles that come out of the typewriter mm. and the typewriter can walk to the bathroom so it goes yes. in the shower afterwards yeah. and stuff doesn't it yeah. so uh, I think it's some kind of typewriter creature yeah um, but yeah and then it flays him alive yeah but, uh, it, but it transpires that all the stuff he's printed it's a Garth Marenghi thinks he's been writing these novels but actually Rick it's Steen. all Nick yeah. Steen yeah. is the character yeah, the, yeah, but it's all these um, c- uh, codes and stuff that the typewriter. So he thinks he's writing his own novel, but actually, what he's sending to the publisher is all this like satanic code that the printer's been producing, the, mm. the typewriter's been producing. Uh, and hilariously, some hefty novels get published with just this gibberish in because yeah. nobody bothers to check any of this stuff because it's just really bland, potboiler horror, yeah. isn't it, that he's writing? Um, but he ends up in hell. Yeah. Uh, in a hell dimension um, yes yeah. um, what's, your, what's your thoughts about it well one of the thoughts I just thought for a little callback for long term listeners is I think this novel has the opposite challenge to the plot mm. so do you remember Gene Hanf Corelli's not Gene Hanf no, I think that's it yeah the novel The Plot mm. um, I remember that who's it by yeah, yeah. Gene Hanf Corelli's uh, yeah. in, the, in the plot we've got a character who's written this amazing novel called mm. Crib um, and you made the point in the observation I wish that we never saw any sections from Crib or heard what the plot of Crib was yeah because uh, then we could buy into the fiction that it's the best story yeah. ever told but unfortunately yeah. it does explain it all to us and it's yeah, quite average quite good. Yeah. Yeah. it's a bit like yeah. Gone Girl yeah. um, well you have the opposite problem with this I think in that it can't be too good 
Otherwise, mm. it wouldn't be a terrible novel. Like, the idea yeah. is that this is Garth Marenghi's terrible novel. But I actually think it's quite good at times. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the joke is that he writes in this permanently elevated register. Yeah. So everything... And also he'll, he'll break character as well and say, like, something to the reader that, you know, address them directly or, like, explain something that they don't need explaining or say yeah. something kind of um, self-promoting or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And... But I, but I think it's quite literary in its illusions. I'm mindful mm. that I share an office with another colleague who often is asked to supervise dissertations on uh, lowbrow things. Mm. So someone will come in and say, oh, I want to do my dissertation. This is not real, listeners, but you know, I want to do a dissertation on Peppa Pig and veganism or something. And then my colleague will say, I'm just not sure. Are you sure that that has the critical strength to mm. endure that analysis, that text? Like, yeah. Is the text going to... And I'm mindful of not wanting to put too much weight on the teratome. However, mm. I do think it's quite known in its literary illusions. Yeah. So um, it starts with a quote from Paradise Lost, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Um, is it The Hell Is Its Own Place? Oh, let me just find um, it. But, but that, I mean, he did that own. in the show, didn't he? And yeah. it was, it would always, uh, yeah, so he's done the same thing as he does in the show. The mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. The big bumper book of quotations, <laughs> yeah. P319, which is the same as Prince Harry and his brainy quote. Yeah. And that's what he does it. Um, I guess you wouldn't necessarily notice this if you weren't like, if you hadn't studied literature or more specifically done referencing. But in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, it'll start with like a quotation from Macbeth and then it'll be like Macbeth, page 319. Mm. Whereas, as we all know, it should be act scene, line number. Yeah. In any system of referencing, yeah. you would never put a page number. No. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and uh, obviously Dante, I think, casts a lot of mm. shadow over it. There's references to the nine circle, the various circles of hell. Um, there's also, I think, a bit of contrapasso, you know, the idea that there is a specific punishment for everyone in hell. Yes. And this guy's specific punishment is, I think this is wonderful, drowning in a sea of his own unread manuscripts. Yeah. Um, and then you've got these things called, what are they called? The tome worms, spelled W-Y-R-M. Yes. Which, which go through these seas of, un- like, eat their way through the sea of unread manuscripts. Um, that's like something out of Spencer like the, mm. the in fairy, the fairy queen they encounter these allegorical monsters like Error uh, which is this great many headed well yeah it's this, it's this great beast which has many horrible children and it bleeds ink and is spewing liableless manuscripts out of its mouths yeah uh, there's like something like from that isn't it um, so, uh, also the idea that it's, there's a line early on where it says uh, I was a young writer in my late 30s or something like that yeah and the joke is, you're not a young writer from your 30s, but 34, 35 is the age that Dante was when he went into the Inferno. Right. So I think there's quite a lot of uh, knowing stuff going on there. All the stuff about literary production, uh, the idea about having sex with a typewriter and producing these things, which is similar to Bunny, making mm. these constructs and then trying to have sex with them. Um, there's a thing about onanism there, but there's also the idea that literary production is an onanistic task. Like You make love yeah. to yourself to produce a text... Reminded me of uh, Mary Shelley's preface to Frankenstein as well, mm. when she says that he, the creature came to her in a dream and then she birthed the novel. Like all these kinds of like, yeah, yeah. Quite, quite one of my favourite things was um, typeface, the Dark Lord of Praxis. Yeah. As well, who is it of the prolix? A prolix, oh, that's yeah. a Dark Lord of the prolix. He, so he says everything it. three times in a different way. Yeah, he speaks um, in neoplasm. Uh, Who is it? Editors are a threat to our very existence. Why even here, Ros may attempt to tidy up the prolix. 
trim, clarify and erase excess wordage. She might even attempt to tidy the place up and make it more presentable, vacuum my entire realm and dust it, rearrange my book cupboards so that the lounge area looks more symmetrical. For that reason, she too must be destroyed. So everything he says, he yeah. says it three this is times. This another bit where, he said, where the, the main character says to him, you don't have to keep saying it three times. And he's like, I confirm, agree. Yes. And then he's like... Exactly, I precisely. The, I, you got it. Yeah, here it is. Do you, want to, do you want to yeah. hear that bit? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, you have disobeyed me, Nick Steen, spurned me, opposed my will. I have brought you here to the prolix to await your doom, your suffering, your true punishment. Like Sisyphus, you shall remain here in the prolix for all eternity, your endless task never done. Sisyphus is here too, is he? Figuratively speaking, metaphorically so, not literally. And then he says, before we get started, can we dispense with the excess words? Because I do get the point. Fine, okay, sure. I said, joking, fine, mocking, ribbing. Will you stop that? Ha ha ha! Will you stop? He he he! Christ alive! Ho ho! I waited. Ho! <laughs> and then he, he sits in silence. And then after four hours, he goes, "Fine, go ahead. What do you proceed? <laughs> Forget it. What was the bloody yeah. point?" So superfluousness of words. Yes. Neoplastic. Yeah. Um. So that's that's all happening, and then um, yeah, and also he's the descri- another like little reference for horror fans is the description of typeface is that he it looks like he's got all these pins on his head, mm. which is a reference to Pinhead from Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the pins are like founts, aren't they? They're a little bit. They're the type. They're the, the bits of letters that you get in a typewriter. Yeah. Which is just lovely stuff. Like really, lovely like stuff. it's a really nice yeah, image, isn't it? It is. I think um, it's a difficult task because what he's the the snippets that began Dark Place, he didn't have to like write the book you know the, the, yeah. the point of them was that they were snippets and to make I'm not just saying like it must be an effort to write a whole book I'm saying to keep readers attention yeah. to where the point of it isn't like oh that's a really clever parody of a not very good horror writer yeah. where it's like I actually need to make a story that's engaging as yeah. well that's quite tough and I think at some points it feels a bit much mm. but so it's doing parody, it's doing prestige. Why is it satire? I, think I didn't say the, it was. No, it was. I do. This is my mm, reason why. Right. The preface. Uh, I think the preface says, it says something like, um, we live in a time where people are all too keen to believe. And it's a bit, it's a bit QAnon-y. QAnon-y. Mm. Um, End times, they're here, pilgrim. Look around you. Whoa, easy, big guy, bracket or girl. Just a peek or you'll go crazy. Only take it from me. They're here. As I write this, sweating and fever-addled in my pleather sickbed, laid low by a lethal virus I foresaw and would have foretold if I'd had a publishing deal at the time, I can't help but note with sombre irkdom that my lifelong gift for presagement has been summarily spurned by an ungrateful species soon to reap its own sorry whirlwind. Is that the bit you're thinking of? Or, it, I think uh, you're uh, over the page. Maybe over the page. That is um, good. Unchecked despotism, spiralling virtuality, new pestilence, brackets like this one I'm sweating from, the netherweb, thrashnalism, fear rake, paranoiativity, you name it, it. All of it's happened on my writer's watch. Yeah, and it goes on. And it just reminds me of um, the, the podcast that's been on BBC Sounds recently about the origins of QAnon and how it tra- it's traced back in the, these... We mm. call them conspiracy theorists, but it's people on the internet who are just looking for everything to be more interesting, exciting, yeah, dynamic yeah. and dramatic than it is. And that's what he does. It's written in an elevated tone. He elevates everything. Yeah. Um, and I just wondered if, if that is... A, he is... You can imagine him being one of these key characters in, like, QAnon or something, like a Q-type yeah. figure. And the appetite for his stuff. Yeah. So I thought there was it's maybe a, a... It's very fun. 
It's very funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah it and is. just because I guess we should probably wrap up in a moment. My yeah. eyes just been caught by this other sentence in the introduction. I'm aware this sentence won't make sense for the audio version, but that's your fault for reading me on the go and no doubt wishing this was a podcast instead, which incidentally isn't an art form. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, little yeah. little like diss for us there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what's what's a lot of fun? That's been a lot. What's of fun. a lot of fun things we've yeah. seen and read and uh, not had time to talk about? Yeah. Um, yeah. What what's your favourite out of Prince Harry, Bunny, Meghan, Terratome, or uh, all of the events of the last year? <laughs> <laughs> um, I Meghan, I think. Yeah. And then, and then Terratome. Mm. And then like carriage return, 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 Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Return, return, return. Twenty twenty two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's reasonable. Um. Oh, and and Prince Andrew probably higher than Bunny. Prince Andrew. Yeah, yeah. And not, not not the man, the musical. <laughs> the man, the myth, the musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Okay. Um. Yes. So that's that's been the podcast. Yeah. So that's um, our January. Ep- our spare episode in January. Yeah, yeah. And we'll did be feel back. quite spare, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we will be back next month with another one we will and it's very special once again because february is our uh, uh oh yes it's our, our podiversary isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so that whatever we do in that it will be good yeah and um yeah i look forward to seeing you then yeah and if you've enjoyed the podcast or you have any suggestions or you'd like to know more about the things we didn't discuss in the mm. show notes i now realize the script that i realized was ludicrously over ambitious mm. um let us know yeah by yeah. Uh, hitting us up on social media or just hitting us up. Yeah. How would you hit us up on social media first? Uh, you go to Instagram. Yeah. And uh, find satire. At talk about satire. At find us on Twitter. Yeah. At, at satire, satire showcase. No uh, <laughs> Spotlight on satire. Spotlight, spotlight on satire. No. Spotlight. <laughs> that is at satire yeah. no more. And our email address, which is satire, satire no more at, at gmail dot com. Yeah. Maybe Thanks. a New Year's resolution should be to check that. We, I always check it. It's just, yeah, but it's just spam from oh, academia.edu. And I didn't yeah. even sign into that. So I don't know whether no. well, that's happening. But yeah. And also, academia.edu is such a scam. I got yeah. an email from them the other day saying I have a super reader. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't tell me who. Yeah, okay. And I suspect it wouldn't even if I subscribed. Yeah. Anyway, mm. yes. Shall we stop all of this yeah. endless piffle poffle? Thanks very much, Joe. Thank you. Thanks Happy so much, New listeners. Year. Happy yeah. New Year. Did you have a lovely Christmas? It was fine, yeah, yeah it was good. It, I, I yeah. did have a lovely Christmas. Also, that's just reminded me, my dad asked me to say on the podcast, uh, he was aware. No, he wasn't aware that I put vinegar on that pizza. But had he been but aware? But had he been aware, he would have made me something else. And also, my relative, my relative uh, who listens to the podcast said she wanted to take issue with me about that because I suggested that whereas pizza is finite, pie is not. Yeah. So it was unfortunate that you did that to your pizza on pizza night but of course pie is also finite yeah. so that was a silly thing to say well, but I think you know what I mean like you, if you're feeding four people you might buy four small pizzas you're not going to buy them each an individual well, okay. you might, you might buy. but anyway well that's good so next time you go home you can chuck vinegar all over your pizzas <laughs> with gay abandon and know that there'll Again. always be more yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. true alright thanks, okay, thanks, thanks for it everybody sit up shut up eat our satire bye bye bye, bye. bye.